G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. So today I have our first international guest, Andrew Longron. Welcome, brother. What's up, man? Glad to be here. Finally. I know, I know. I've had to get you up early. You're running on a couple of hours sleep. Um, I, I'll put this in the in the podcast. I'm an idiot. We've gone two minutes into the podcast and I forgot to press record. Um, so kind of embarrassing <laughs> so for, for everybody. First international for everybody guest. watching this. Uh... So everybody watching this live, this is what really goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, just letting you know. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I never haven't pressed record until tonight. So my first guest, like I, I play the intro. Is this the, got, is this the latest time you've ever done the podcast? Uh, my podcast, yes, to um, to work out for a um. At a completely different time zone. I think you work out to be about 16, 17 hours behind South Australian time. Oh, two different, you have time, different time zones in Australia? Yeah, we do. I think we have three or four oh, okay. different time zones in Australia. And yeah, um, ours changes every six months. So we go like an hour forward and then an hour behind. Oh, y'all, so y'all do do daylight, y'all do daylight yeah, savings. Yeah, we have we have daylight savings down okay. here. So where I am, I'm right down the right down the bottom. As I was saying, you're a funny motherfucker. Um, mind my language for <laughs> all. I know Americans can be sometimes funny with with language and cussing, as you guys. Not just call Americans, it, but whatever. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever you're trying to stream to, you know, yeah. everybody's a little. We get to be a little funny sometimes. Australians tend to be a bit more laxed when it comes to cussing. Um, so, like I was saying, you've got a funny, hilarious TikTok channel. We we're just chatting about um, one of my. F- at, there's there's two videos you have that are absolutely classics that I that I love. First one is the beer poster that you did for your your wife or your partner. Oh man, that got taken down several times off of TikTok and still up on Instagram. The second one is the Mister Boombastic videos. So you got one where you do it by yourself oh, on kayak. the kayak, yeah. and then you got got the one where you got your mate in the background. Uh, it's oh yeah, Daniel. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, Dan- Daniel's a local, uh, and he's a he's a pretty hardcore tournament fisher. Uh, I met him through tournament fishing, and uh, he wanted to do more TikToks. I was like, "All right, man, here we go." And uh, he found out pretty quickly. Like, I think we took that take probably fifteen times before we finally got the timing down and right and everything. That's great. But then, uh, of course, that's one of those videos that just kind of took off. You know, he was just like, "I was like, yeah, look, man, I know we did it fifteen times, but this is why we did it fifteen times." You know, <laughs> I, I, I lost uh, it. The, I shared the beer it. Beer poster video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, me and TikTok are. I could fight TikTok over that one. That would be one of the ones because, like, you know, we, 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 you're an outdoor creator. You know how it is with TikTok. I know, uh, man. I know TikTok's a hard one to please. 
you can breastfeed live. You can wear a bikini that shows absolutely nothing. But that video there got taken down for sexual nudity. Yeah. And I think, I think I, like a, a part of my butt cheek was sticking out. <laughs> but I do believe, like in the first, in the first hour that it was up, it had almost four hundred shares in the first hour. I lost it. I, I went to share it as soon as I've seen it, and I've gone to share it, and it's gone. This video is taken down. <sighs> I'm like, oh god damn! I was like, that was supposed to be my it video, like the one that really. Yeah. took me off, you know, and and then I reposted it and covered up myself with like a sticker and said go to Instagram, and then <laughs> they took that one down immediately too. I'm like, there is literally nothing shown. <sighs> Let's talk about fishing. Yeah, I've, I've had more <laughs> more videos on TikTok taken down than you can possibly think. I posted one. I had someone ask about my my bows the other day, and I posted a video, and it was like illegal sales and illegal content just for showing my archery equipment in my room. See, and I have friends of mine that are, that are bow hunters and I have a really good friend of mine. She's really coming up now and she's a, she's a competition bow hunter and she's trying to get sponsored by Matthews. And, but because she's a, a pretty girl, none of her stuff gets touched. But then I know guys that have a hard time just like that. Like it's just, uh, the censorship is so, so picky. It's, you show a bow. What I think it was is I had a crossbow in the thing, and I think because I hashtagged hunting, it just automatically flagged and seen the crossbow, and because it's got a scope on it and a stock, it automatically thought. Oh it was yeah! It. From now on, I'm all anytime I anytime I show any. Well, but then you see other people whose entire channels are nothing but firearms. Yeah, I I post it and just if it gets taken down, I'll post it a couple more times, see how it goes. You ought to just like start putting disclaimers, kind of like what we used to do. Uh, so when I was a full time videographer, we would always like put people's music in our in our in our videos, and we would just put "I do not own the rights to this music" at the bottom. <laughs> and we got away with it for a while, and then Instagram caught on. So we might have to put these are toy guns, or these are to- these are toys, not real life. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tend to write gel blaster. These are gel blasters. But in the country I live in, gel blasters are illegal. Because they're classified as a imitation firearm. What's a what's a gel blaster? So they there's these little gel pellets that you get. You put them in water and they expand, and you put them in these toy guns, and they kind of like shoot really? these gel pellets. It's kind of like airsoft, but like with, with jelly pelly yep. pellets. Yep. And the well, airsoft is a is pretty like illegal in australia too like it's really paint you have to have a license for a paintball gun you have to yeah it's <laughs> that's why so like my buddy my buddy uh michael um him and alex uh we met them in thailand that last time we went and uh, there's so many places out there in thailand say like, come shoot firearms come shoot firearms and i'll never forget they're like hey man do you want to go down here and shoot the i'm like no I shoot them Why? in my backyard I I, at home. <laughs> yeah, I, I can do that at home. He's like, and then, but that right there, I, I remember him telling me that they have to keep, like, you have to keep y'all's firearms and ammo separate in the house and locked up, right? Well, separate in the safe. If you've got a safe that's got dual compartments, you can put your ammunition in the top part compartment and locked up, and then your firearms in a separate compartment. But it changes state to state. So some states you can't store your 
magazines in your rifles. Some states you can't, yeah. It's some So how do you, so if somebody's breaking into your house, you have to go ask them to hold on while you go open your safe? That is not a condition of owning a firearm. You are not allowed to own a firearm in Australia for personal defence. If someone breaks into your house in Australia and cuts themselves on the window as they're coming through the window, that person then can sue you. Damn, y'all sound more like California. <laughs> Dude, we're more Canada than <laughs> fucking California. <laughs> we got a bus, bunch Well, no, because Canadians don't break. Because Canadians won't break into people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> They're too stoned to leave their own. Uh, oh, man, I didn't know that. That's No, like in Texas, um, one of my favorite laws with Texas and firearms is that your, your, your vehicle is considered an extension of your home. So I'm allowed to keep a loaded firearm in my, in my vehicle. That's, and, that's uh, insane for the Australian listeners. Like, you're not allowed to... You have to have your ammunition in a lockbox and your firearm in a different spot. And then some of the states, you can't even travel with a... Just because we're pretty much limited to bolt-action rifles, lever-actions. Um, we can't own semis or full autos or anything like that, you know. Our lever-action shotguns come under attack every now and again um we have we every now and again there's different types of firearms that try and break the system so we've had like stuff like straight pulls and stuff like that but um videos come out of people shooting them fast and then the firearms laws change so recently um my so my my niece's father or step stepdad he owns a like a firearm business is what he does is like buys and sells firearms and he would buy these uh right where they called it but it's like a pressure trigger and it basically resets and it changes the pound of pressure that it takes to fire and if you a full squeeze each time will will let one down down range but if you apply just the right amount of pressure it's just going to sit there and just and get an automatic firearm that's nuts but it's not but it's not an automatic trigger it's just changing the pressure on which it takes to pull but finally they caught on and they just made them illegal to uh two weeks ago that's that's nuts so we'll jump into the questions because you've got limited time and i've got limited time where are you from brother i am from houston texas houston texas beautiful part of the americas that's i've, uh, I've only really that, been that, to look man i've that's debatable. <laughs> I, f- I flew from Adelaide to Melbourne, Melbourne to Cali, stayed in the Cali airport for a couple of hours, then flew from yeah, LAX to Dallas. Then we drove from Dallas right. to Houston. We were in Houston for an hour, packed the car, and drove straight down to the Mexican border and went hunting over the border. Like, And then we spent... See, and that's some crazy shit that I wouldn't do. I can't. I, I don't know if I'd go hunting in Mexico. Like, blonde hair, blue eyes, white guy walking around with a firearm in Mexico. Mm-mm. Try being an Australian and going but. through the border and not knowing a lick of freaking Spanish. <laughs> I don't know any Spanish. Like, I took Spanish one twice and failed it both times. <laughs> I, I did in school Indonesian, German, and Chinese. That's That's the languages I learned here. And I could not tell you a lick of that. But yeah, um, 
I, I thoroughly enjoyed Houston. We we stayed with my mate when we came back from Mexico in Houston for a couple of days, then went back to Mexico, then stayed in Houston a couple more days. And is he Houston, still here in Houston, or yeah, my my mate lives there in Houston. Um, okay, it's it, it's an eye opener, man. Like even Academy, like we don't have anything like Academy in Australia. Really? I freaking loved Academy, like. Going to so you never been to a bag of Bass Pro or Cabela's or like when I was in Texas, I went to the is it Bass Pro in Houston and I went to the one in Dallas and then the one in Austin, I think. Is there one? No, there's not one in Austin near Austin, maybe. I, I, it's this is five years ago, but yeah, went to a few. Yeah. I think we went to a Cabela's, a Bass Pro, and two Bass Pros. But yeah, oh, I spent so much time in there. But even just in um, Academy, me and my mate were just going through the hunting aisles and we're chatting and people are hearing our accents and they're like, where are y'all from? <laughs> and we'd just get chatting to people for like 20 minutes in Academy and then move to the next aisle and chat to someone else for 20 minutes. Like everyone was so welcoming. And as soon as they heard the Australian accent, they're like, they, they just thought it was amazing. But just like the subtle differences, like going to what you guys call a gas station, we call a service station, and we call it a right. servo for short. Like would go in and be just like, yeah, pump, pump this. And they're like, just staring at you. Like, what did you just say? <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't really have, we don't have, we don't service anymore. Like, you know, before, back in the day, like service stations, the gas station attendant would actually be out there filling your fuel, but now it's all done yourself. So it's just literally like, well, I gotta stop, fill up and go. That's all we've known. We fill up ourselves. Not many service stations have a spot where you can get your car serviced or anything like that. Um, That's just, you know, the different lingo between the countries. Like there was just lots of little things like that, trying to buy stuff and people are like, what are you saying? What are you looking for? And you're like trying to, you, <laughs> I didn't know the American lingo for lots of shit. So, but just, <laughs> just the fuck, even the fast food serves like Whataburger, man. Like every fast food chain I went to was almost Whataburger. That shit's amazing. But you're. Well, go ahead. I think, I think our, our fuel not fuel, I'm sorry. Uh, our FDA isn't as regulated as some of the countries. I think like y'all's as well. Yeah, we're regulated in every sin- sense of the word, man. <laughs> so, like, I have a friend of mine, uh, and she lives in uh, um, Amsterdam. Where did, where did she live? Amsterdam. And we got to chatting on, on, a, on a Zoom call, and, uh, like, Coke over there does not taste the same here because they're not allowed to have any of the uh, artificial preservatives, artificial sugar. And I was like, yeah, we also don't have the diabetes rate, and like y'all live a little longer. You're breaking up there a bit, mate. Uh, am I still here? You're still there, but you're lagging a little bit. Hmm. Oh, good there, good there. Let me close that.
got a bunch of windows open, so it's probably it's that time of the morning too. Not so good. Where like everybody's everybody's kind of waking up, the network's kind of getting bogged down a little bit. Not not all good. But yeah, as we were saying, like the FDA, like your serving sizes over there, your small drinks when you order takeout, whether it's a Whataburger, Chick-fil-A, whatever your um, preference is over there, your small drinks are as big as our large drinks. Portion control. Yeah. But I will say that even when I go to Whataburger, I don't need a medium. I don't need a 32-ounce medium drink. Like It doesn't hardly fit in my cupboard. Oh, I could not get over. Like, I ordered a large meal and just the drinks that come, like, it's <laughs> five times bigger than our large. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's so different. I can't wait to get down to Australia, man. Nah, you you need to get down here, man. Like like you said, you got some uh, mates in Victoria. You've got some prime hunting and fishing down there. South Australia, we got some. We'll get you on some fallow deer and some fishing down here. Um, I got a few good mates that love their kayak fishing. They um, run hobies and uh, fish a lot of our reservoirs for our native species. So, what do you do for work, man? You know, every time I get asked that question nowadays, it's a really hard to answer <laughs> uh, because I am actually full time entrepreneur. And uh, I started last summer. I quit my job. I was in the chemical industry for ten years. And uh, which would be a uh, like a y'all don't have chemical plants, I don't think. Do y'all not to the extent y'all process or I mean, no, I don't, I don't, believe yeah. So, so. like, I, I worked into I worked in a chemical plant that we processed and created basically gasoline and other products that made plastics, so very large chemical facility. Uh, but I did that for 10 years and then now I'm just full time entrepreneur. And when I say that, people are gonna be like, well. You know, is he really an entrepreneur? Not, like, I get all kinds of weird questions, man. But it's like, uh, right now, I do, me and my wife do real estate. So we've made quite a bit in the last few months with some of our investments. And then we just bought a duplex that's being built right now. We'll end up renting out one side while staying in the other. And then we're already got uh, the duplex after that looked at, lot spotted. So we're going to start creating more rental properties. Uh, we had a vending business up until January. We sold that. And then said, so I do videography, photography here as of late in the last three months, I've been working with a influencer group called the Trader Gang, the Trader, uh, the Trader House, Trader Co., whatever you want to call it, and uh, doing a lot of their business back-end stuff, so a lot of their e-commerce. Uh, we have a virtual assistant that I've trained up, and that's, that's kind of the gist of it, because there's a lot more things that I do between crypto and some other investments. And then uh, I do a lot of uh, consulting work, actually. I do a lot of consulting work for influencers who are young. They've built a big following. They don't really know what to do with it or how to structure it. And that's one thing that I'm really good at is structure. I may, and I may overcompensate quite a bit and focus more on the structure. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably make a video or something <laughs> like this week, you know. Uh, but I've always been a firm believer and if your foundation is good, then everything after that will be easy. Oh, dude, you've got your finger in all the pots, man. Um, you know, I've, when I first came across you on TikTok, we hit it off straight away. Um, and we've been chatting ever since. Um, yeah, you've ran through all of your, your little 
hustles that you've had on the side and you've done through throughout the ages. You, when I first started speaking to you, you were just in into your vending machine stuff and you were doing pretty okay. well there. And um, yeah, your TikToks just what are you two hundred and forty thousand followers there. Creeping up on two. The first three months I hit 100K and then COVID happened and it kind of, they started making a bunch of algorithm changes, which they've, I've noticed they do that every single year between January and March. There's a lot of algorithm changes. It chills out for the most part during the summer and then late fall, they'll make a couple more. But definitely around the second or third week of January for the last two years consecutively, they made major changes, which is affected a lot of what people do. And it's, it's getting harder and harder to be more original i think uh they really tiktok especially so i lived in the creator house for two months um and seeing how some of the larger creators are keeping up with their platforms and how they're hitting trends is uh, man tiktok pushes dancing yeah. I, don't, I, don't really, I mean i did the dancing on the kayak thing for a little while and it worked but you can only I can only sit there and shake my butt on camera for so long before it's like this this is not the message I want to send, you know. And when I originally started TikTok, I was doing two trending videos and original video, two trending videos and original. And that's kind of the pattern I'm gonna start trying to get back to. And uh, yeah, TikTok growth has been very like very difficult. You either get super viral or you have to be just very odd to grow very quickly. You yeah. know, or a hot girl that all platform. Ex- exactly. Like I, I joined TikTok as a goof, and I was just posting videos out of my camera roll. Some got taken down straight away. Some did all right. Um, and before India banned TikTok, um, one of my videos ended up with like thirty-eight million views, and that's kind of where all my followers came from. Were like. India, like you looked at the uh, regions where your followers and your likes came from, and it was all India. And then when they banned it, it just went crashing hard. So I'm on, I'm only on about forty thousand, but I think most of them can't access <laughs> access their account. But see, even then, though, dude, a uh, thirty-eight million views video used to mean you would have a million or two followers. Like yeah. that would be no problem. Like my first video that popped off had a. Uh, I want to say maybe 1.5 million views, but that gave me 30,000 followers in the, like overnight, Yeah, you know? And nowadays, like the, with any kind of content across any platform, you've got to do it just more and more and more and more and more. Everybody's getting, especially with COVID. COVID really hurt a lot of us who are trying to grow uh, in this industry because you had everybody else. The, the, everything's just flooded. There's just there's so much time. Like everybody was be sifted through, you know. Everybody was just hustling those gifts on lives. I never got the point on that. <laughs> Man, there's those. I know some people that make a couple grand a week. Yeah, same. doing that. But I morally, it's not me. Like I, I'll pop on live just to chat with people, you know, because I don't like writing comments back. Uh, but I can never, I even had a guy one time try to like, my camera was like four grand. Like somebody tried to like pay for my camera and I wouldn't accept it. Yeah. So fortunately through one of my good mates, Jordan, who's really successful on TikTok in Australia, he actually funded me kicking this podcast off the ground through TikTok and his supporters. He, um, chucked my PayPal up and he's done a video just saying, you know, 
I've got a mate that wants to start a podcast. It's his passion. It's his dream. He wants to do it on hunting and fishing in the outdoors. And yeah, just a, within 24 hours, I had enough to buy the gear. Like it was incredible just how well nice. the TikTok community comes in together for, you know, I, I didn't think I was worthy enough for any of this shit, you know? Right. So how did you get into hunting and fishing and the outdoors lifestyle? Oh man, that started when I was like, yay big, you know, my, my great grandfather, uh, when I was hit when I was taking fishing, like I spent most of my summers with him uh, growing up. It was like everybody in my family had kids early. So like I spent my summers with my great grandfather and not my grandfather. <laughs> um, but man, it's just, it just, it's just been in my blood ever since I could walk. I mean, when I got my first bicycle, I was loading my tackle box in a, in a backpack and putting it on and then riding to the next, the further spots I could. And then, uh, got my license. And the next thing you know, like I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm fishing here, fishing there, fishing three hours away when I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> uh, but believe it or not, we didn't do a lot of hunting growing up. My, my stepdad that uh, raised didn't do a lot of hunting because we were really poor. So like that was with, with three boys in the house. I mean, that, that would get very expensive pretty quickly, you know, to have outfit, like, have everybody outfitted hunting stuff, you know, fishing was pretty easy. And um, I think I really started getting more into hunting once I started working full time. And I had most of my coworkers and I had an area to go hunt and my friends were hunting and I just, man, I love it. I, I love all of them. And man, fishing for me is going to be always be a, a passion year round. You know, at, at one point up until this past October, I actually got my captain's license and I was a licensed captain for five years. Um, thinking I was going to go get my, my guiding stuff and I was going to start guiding while I'm working. And I found out really quickly when I worked for three days straight for a buddy of mine as a deckhand that, this is not something I want to do 365. <laughs> it's hard going, uh, man. It's a, it's a particular type of person working on either a charter boat or just a full-time fishing vessel. Like, it's it takes a hard and hardened person. Like, it, particular it people cool. thrive at those jobs, but it's not for everyone. Literally, though, that's... Uh, my buddy that's a charter captain, like, uh, we went to high school together. We, we, we've Actually, we've, we've been together since, like, third grade. So, like, he owns a charter. Him and his uh, stepdad own, own a charter company down in Galveston. And every now and then, he, actually, I was supposed to work yesterday. He tried to get me to work. But we had E day this weekend, so couldn't really go do that. And um, he'll call me every now and then. I'll go deckhand for him. But he actually tried to get me to, to work all summer. Like, he wanted me to, they had bought another boat and wanted me to come captain the boat. And I was just like, I can't, man. Like, I, I it almost, when I did it for three days in a row, it made me really consider like everything about life. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to lose that passion for it. You know? Oh, those guys that spend like months at sea is just ridiculous. Like it's, it's, you know, I've spoken. You to don't even spend months at sea. He's just, he's a, he's a daily charter, but like you're up before dark. I mean, you're up before the uh, daylight. You're, you don't get in till way after dark is cleaning the boat, get it prepped for the next day. Um, it's hard on the body. You're out in the sun, you're getting beat up, and like, if you take a day off of work, then that's money out of your pocket. And you know, there is no still getting paid. Doing that type of work in America, that relies on tips, doesn't it? So down here... A lot of it, so like... Go ahead. Down here, we don't have that tipping thing. Like, it's... We don't tip 
like it, it wasn't an eye-opener going to America and like just going out for like we call a pub meal but like you know like we went out to a restaurant we went to Hooters we went to a couple of different places and where you tip your waitress and you work out all of that type of stuff that's not a thing here in Australia because we get a half decent minimum wage that you can live off of so it's just not a thing so it it, it was a complete eye-opener um I did a high fence hunt and just like the the tipping with that um my my mate owned a guiding operation in Mexico and just him explaining like you've got your your trophy tip like your trophy guiding fees your animal guiding fees all of that and then you got tips on top of it like it's 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 just a completely yeah like you gotta pay the people to like better cleaning your animals and yeah. all that, like but like what like restaurants here though your your typical the way businesses work here and it's it's more of a business thing than like a, a public standard is that you know your waitresses only make two seventeen per hour. Yeah, so like because I think, I think minimum wage here is like you know if you're above eighteen, I think it's like eighteen nineteen dollars an hour. Like that's minimum wage for that wow. know, fast food industry, and then you got like holiday work and weekend work and overtime and stuff like that. Cost of living yeah, is you, higher you, too, but we don't have that whole that whole tipping thing that America has. Yeah, it's very, like, I always notice every time I go overseas and I tip, especially in Thailand, they love Americans. Yeah, uh, Thailand <laughs> was Thailand was crazy. Like, I think that's what we bonded on, was um, talking about fishing in Thailand, chasing those um, Dude, I've done, Amazon red I've tail done two major. Yeah, I've done two major fishing trips in Thailand. First time was for the uh, Mekong catfish. Uh, the Mekongs both, are cool. both they, man, I get to the point to where I actually we, we cut our fishing trip short because I was I couldn't take anymore. Like those are strong fish. Like after about six or seven of them, like your arm is just dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, and it's that a, was actually at the uh, the the Bungsmaran Fishing Park, uh, which was also aired on River Monsters. Yeah, yeah, they've they've got some amazing setups. I just seen um in Phuket, they've got an actual um saltwater fishing park now where you can chase like GTs and all of those saltwater species. It's it's going to have to hit that up next time I go back to Phuket. Yeah. It's a, it's about a year old. Um, the fishing park I went to was quite small. It was run by a, um, English expat and, oh dude, just the service was amazing. He's married to a lovely Mm. tiger, tiger, tiger. And, um, yeah, just the food, the, you know, he's got two small lakes there and it's just, He's got a couple of small Mekongs. By small, I'm talking, you know, 40-pound fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't get this. But I'm, I have seen pictures where they, before they... ...outfished them, you know. It wasn't it wasn't uncommon to see a 200-300-pound Mekong, yeah. you know. But nowadays, you know, like your typical 50, 60 pounds is a big beak on. Because one of the places you went was uh, GT, wasn't it? G- mm, no. I, th- I think I've seen so one of your fishing. Is it GT? What? Uh, I don't I, remember the I had a stalk. I don't remember the name, but it was about two hours north of Phuket. Yeah. That's where we, uh, the guy that owned that was, I think, UK. And same situation. He had, he had another fishing park, but this one was a better location. 
Um, but he actually raised uh, Arapaima yeah. at that one. So he had the main fishing lake that he kept uh, several of them in, and then he had a breeding pond for large Arapaima. And uh, that was my goal going over there the second time. Wasn't able to get it, but I'll tell you right now, the ones that I saw in Bungsmoran were, they were, they're the size difference. Like they were three times as big as the ones I saw in Phuket. Like I just saw a bat come out of the water and I was like, that is a dinosaur. And what is breathing, that? them breathing on the top of the water. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, the fishing park. I'll I think- show you. I have a, I have a video like from the breeding park. They allow you to feed them. And uh, the water's super clear, and they're all just sitting there, staring at you. And it's like just wild, man. It's just like they look like a tarpon, but then they're just beefy. I, I saw, man. I was, I really wanted to catch one. They're cool. Yeah, Arrow Primer were on my my list for sure. Um, this park had, I think they had two or three. There was they normally caught, you know, two maybe a month. There was one caught the day before we were there and the day after we were there. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, it is a fishing park. So it's, you know, equivalent to what, a higher fencing ranch in, in Texas. Yeah. So but, they get used to certain things. Yeah. It, it, it was cool, though. Like, I, I would not knock it. Just, just to see those cool, those new species that, you know, they're definitely strange compared to what we have down here you know, and what you guys have. Speaking of, of new species, um, I've actually been really surprised. So over the last year, ever since I've quit my job full-time, I've done several uh, long road trips, and uh, they've been collaboration road trips. So I made my wife has been working in California, so I made one out to California where I met up with uh, the guys from Lime Leash. Um, it's actually a very, very useful tool. It's like a little stretchy band with a bead that goes over your your, um, your loose reels, uh, like your loose uh, spools of, of line. And I like to keep a spool of line on my kayak when I'm making leaders, and I'm always having to, like, retape it down. But, like, they make this, it just goes over. Man, it's just so nice. So I met up with those guys in Southern California and L.A. Uh, I went up north uh, to Bakersfield, met up with Tim Dobbs, and then even a little further north, met up with Tyler Hockman. And we went offshore uh, just an hour north of San Francisco. And... I've been in the U.S. all my life. I've lived in Texas all my life. And I've pretty much, I thought there was bass, catfish, and then you have all your saltwater stuff, like crappie, you know, but whatever. Crappie and then all your saltwater stuff. But, like, come to find out, you know, just here in Oklahoma, you know, there, there these big spoonbill fish. I didn't even know it was a thing until about six months ago. As I'm doing these road trips and getting talking with some of these other, uh, uh, these fishing creators in, like, parts of the U.S., I'm like, there's just so many species in the U.S. that I haven't even been able to get close to. Those spoonbill were crazy-looking fish. Like, the big ones, they just get so round, like a barrel away. What's crazy to me is how they catch them. So they're a filter fish. Yeah. They don't actually bite. They, they, they're they snagged. And I thought that was wild. What? Like, so when I went to texas and mexico like i'm like yeah i need to get myself a bass or something i tried and tried like this ranch we stayed at in mexico had a few big lakes on it and i could not catch shit it's just a completely different fishing style compared to what i'm used to down here and um you know just like looking at all the sunfish swimming around like it's just like all these different species that 
like I've seen on Facebook, I've seen on Instagram, but just seeing them, it was just blew your mind. Like walking around Houston and like where we were in Houston, there's we, when we went to Academy pretty much right outside the Academy, there's like these big drains and there's all sunfish and small bass swimming around in, in these drains out the front oh, yeah. of the academy. Like, it were, it blew, blew our mind. Like, we're just standing, you know, just off of this car park looking into this body of water and just me and my mate who I was there with were just, like, staring into the water and trying to work, work out what fish is what. <laughs> y'all don't have any clear rivers, do y'all? Not so much clear. We do have runs where our creeks are clear and our rivers are clear. Um but yeah, it, it's 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 different. Like we were the, we're in um, Texas late November, so it was still pretty humid. Um, and then we went to Mexico, then came back, and a cold front came through, and we got snow while we we're in Houston. Like it was just too wild. So was it, was it? This, no, no. So in twenty twenty, I was in Oklahoma with my uh, my freshwater bait sponsor, Bionic Outdoors. The first day we were duck hunting, I was sweating. I ended up having to take my my undershirts off by 10, 11 o'clock. And um, by the next morning, there was a foot of snow on the ground. And our guns were iced up by 8.45. That's nuts. Is that when Texas had the big freeze and you lo- you guys lost a no, bunch that, of No, that, uh, that, that was actually, uh, that was 2021. One, but that was literally like like two and a half months before. Yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, that's I've seen all the posts. You know, all these exotic animals, Axis and Nilgai, all frozen, and yeah, it's it's insane. So when you're out in the kayak, what's what's your basic gear run through when you're out kayak fishing? What kayak are you running? You're running spin gear, bait cast. So. It just depends on what exactly kind of fishing I'm going to go uh, do. But I have a Hobie Outback. Uh, it's a 2019 model. They're like they're like 12 foot 11. They're like almost 13 feet. And I've got mine decently rigged out. Uh, but because I'm because you live when you live on the Texas Gulf Coast, uh, you you kind of don't have an option but to be a saltwater and a freshwater fisherman. So I end up having to have both types of gear. So if I'm going Fast fishing, though, believe it or not, I'm actually bringing more rods and reels, more rods and reels with me than I will when I'm saltwater fishing. Because saltwater fishing to me, I have a a basic couple couple setups that I use, and then that's it. And I can pretty much catch anything that I go and mess with. And with saltwater, I use a lot of spin cast, just because I'm, I'm making a lot of cast. And with with saltwater, I don't have to be as I don't have to be as accurate with my casting. You know, I just get it in the vicinity. The fish are a little are a lot more aggressive um, because of our water. They're a lot of times scent based, anyways. So they'll smell it if it, it hits the water, and, and I'm good. Um, plus, I'm getting old. Tomorrow, Friday's kind of starts getting to me. Uh, but when you're bass fishing, I'll have six rods with me. You know, like different setups. I'll have like a heavy action with a jig. That's uh, I got one that's got 65 pound braid straight to the jig. So if I'm fishing deep water and it's covered, then I'm I need to make sure that when he bites, I'm able to rip him out of there and like not have any slack at all. Uh, but I've got other setups on 20 pound test for spin, uh, my spinner baits. I'm usually running them through a little bit heavier cover. Then I've got, like, it just, 
there's different actions for all your bass bras for different lures and different types of runs and how you want them to, and it's just a lot more that goes on there. But for the most part, uh, that'll all be all my bait casters as far as bass fishing goes. And then during the summer, I usually carry an umbrella with me. Uh, I'll end up posting up in the marsh if I get too hot and I'll actually have this little umbrella that pops up and I'll end up just cruising out taking a nap, but ice chest, safety gear, um, the usual stuff after that, but typical setups just really depends on what kind of fishing because I'm also, uh, I like to make trips down to Florida and I'll go offshore fishing there. So I have a few offshore setups and offshore setups are a little bit more robust. And, uh, my, my front compartment, I use more of an ice chest and then, um, a lot more safety gear is involved with offshore fishing. So I have like a radio and I usually try to have some sort of high visibility, like flag or something. And, um, yeah, that's like a basic, basic rundown of like my initial setup. So what about for hunting? Are you more of a bow hunter or a rifle hunter? So me and bow hunting have a love-hate relationship too. (laughs) Uh, I started getting into bow hunting about four years ago. Um, my very first season. So in Texas, like you were saying, November is still pretty humid where our bow season is in October. So my very first bow season, I spent most of it in mosquito netting with a thermosel and just just pouring sweat the whole time. Uh, I didn't really like it. <laughs> and then the following year, I got my bow stolen. And then right after that, it took me about, in 2019, I went and bought my new bow. Um, then six months later, I went on my first elk hunt. And... Pretty much, I really haven't gotten to pull the trigger or pull the uh, the release much. Uh, I've done some hunting in Arkansas with a bow. I've got like a few bucks that came pretty close. Uh, but I have a little crossbow setup that I've used to take out a couple of doe in my backyard. <clears throat> uh, the city limits, man. Them, uh, them deer get, get wild. So, uh, And then rifle, man, I've had... I'm not even going to be trying to be humble about it. I'm pretty deadly with a rifle and I don't even shoot nothing high powered. Like, uh, that's actually one of my medals I got while I was in the military and I've hunt really, really thick cover. And I use a 243 is my favorite, my favorite rifle. And a lot of people are going to say, you know, it's a small rifle, but typical shots for East Texas with our thick brush is only 50 or 60 yards at max. Like I've, I've had so many encounters. There's one time I had a ghillie suit and, uh, I actually crawled on the ground because I heard this deer coming up the side of this canal. So I'm like, on the, he's like coming up this canal and I'm crawling this way. And literally within four feet, I'm looking at his antlers and he's looking and he can't see me. I'm on the other side of the bush. And then I realized that, Oh yeah. Like if he wanted to come at me, there ain't nothing I can do. Like this is, this, this, this wasn't as smart as I thought it was going to be. Uh, so, so hunting for me between bow hunting and rifle hunting is more of, it's more of the aspect of the hunt than it just, so it really, I don't really have a preference. Now, if I'm going to get meat, yeah, I'm taking a rifle. What's your uh, favorite critters to get onto when you're at hunting over there? Cause you've being in Texas, you've got, you know, numerous um, exotic species. Then you got white towel, um, depending where you are, there's javelina, there's, you know, I've taken javelina so in Mexico, honestly, and I, I freaking love those things. They're, they're, 
a cool little critter. They're tasty when cooked right. Like I, I, if we had javelina here, that'd be a staple part of my diet for sure. So I've taken out a few pigs in my neighborhood. <laughs> uh, and honestly, like when, and I'll say this openly, like a lot of deer get trapped inside of the city limits between the major highways in Houston. So I've taken two or three out there and they taste different than they do out in the wild. But the pigs, the pigs don't taste terrible. I, I've actually laid a, a pig loin uh, from the neighborhood next to one fall from the grocery store and you almost couldn't tell which one was which. That's insane. Slight gamey taste on the pig. But honestly, I would have to say I haven't done enough exotic hunting just because of my, my work schedule when I was working in chemical plants with shift work. You know, with any kind of hunting, there's a little bit, unless you're paying for it, there's a little bit of prep work. And, like, I'm also a fisherman. So fishing's year-round. Uh, hunting is a part of the year that you're really going to have to suck up some time. You're going to spend days in woods that are not for hunting, that are scouting, that are setting up, make sure everything's correct. And then, so for right now, it's just a white tail for me. Uh, the elk hunt that I went on was still pretty in the back of my mind. I did. I found out that there's a lot of things that I did wrong. There's things that I could have done better. Um, all in all, I prepped for 10 months for that elk hunt, and not a single bit of it went how I planned. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just hunting in general, man. Like when I went to New Zealand, I, I thought I was in pretty good shape to, to hunt that country and I was not. I was. I was wrong. The guys I was hunting with, you know, they had a cigarette in their mouth, uh, a beer in their hand, while we we're hiking into where we were going, and I could not keep up with them. Um, you know, these were bigger guys. I was, I was skinnier than them fellas, and I just could not keep up. I was huffing and puffing, and can we? Uh, I need a rest for five minutes. Just let me catch my breath. Oh. I could not keep, and you know, they're like all right, taking a puff of their smoke and a drink of their, their Jack Daniels, and I just could not keep up. I'll do the same. Like, I, I, I thought I'd gotten myself ready for cardio, but then I forgot in Colorado, like, the elevation change made such a big difference. And then at the time, I was still bodybuilding, so I still had all this extra mass, and, like, it just little skinny guys were whipping my butt, you know. Um, but I will say that the hunting aspect of using a bow is a lot more primal. And I really, I really look forward to finally getting either a whitetail or at least or, or an elk with my bow. So we'll find out this year. I'm a, I've been building out this uh, cargo trailer to be more mobile. So this year I'm going to spend about two weeks in Colorado just hunting them down until I can make it happen. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, so fish species, what are you chasing? What are your primary species you're chasing? Like if couple of fresh, couple of salt water. Okay. Uh, which also, for right now, here lately, uh, I'm doing a lot of largemouth fishing, trying to target some larger largemouths. Right now, my biggest is uh, roughly 7.7 pounds, and it's been a few years since I've caught anything close to that. Um, I have been fishing a few tournaments, and every year, uh, this bass club that I sponsor here in Texas they're all either current or retired police officers and firefighters. And they hold a big sponsorship tournament every year. So I, I usually fish that later in the year. And that part of Texas, actually, some of the lakes have smallmouth bass. And I finally caught my first smallmouth last year. And that was a little addicting. I'm not going to lie. Those little fish are 
brutes. Apparently they and... get hard. What about these um, mean mouth bass that I've been hearing about, the hybrids between small mouth and large mouth? Oh, the mean mouse? I have not caught one, but I did see three weeks ago that the world record was caught here in Texas. Um, that was caught, which actually I'm pretty sure Texas has had a lot of records broken in the last month and a half, actually. Uh, so this time of year, your MLF series, your FLW series, uh, they all start really kicking off, especially in Texas. And it's also uh, our uh, breeding season. Uh, so a lot of the fish are spawning right now. I think in that same, not the same lake, but within the same week, some kid, he, he went viral on TikTok for it too. It's like a 17-pound bass. Actually, three were caught that same week on that lake that were over 15 pounds. His was 17. And then within, I think, 45 minutes at a different lake, some guy caught a 14-pound mean mouth hybrid. And uh, supposedly those things are just, they have the size of a large mouth and the bite of a small mouth, which said when I caught my small mouth, I felt like a redfish had nailed it. I thought I, I honestly thought it was a catfish. I really did. Uh, and then when I pulled it up, I was like, no way. But it was like that they're little muscly fish, man. Yeah. Uh, and then with salt water, so I just got back from just got back from Bradenton, Florida. We went down there to fish with Chasten Whitfield. She uh her T V show just launched. She does uh her TV show is based on taking kids with uh, disabilities and autism and brings them fishing. Nice. It shows them that, you know, like they can, cause she, dude, honestly, she's probably one of the, the nicest people I've ever met. Like would do anything for anybody. Uh, great family too. Her dad's a guide. Uh, her dad also does like the dolphin tours and stuff. Um, but she's not even graduated college yet. Yeah, and wow. she's got a yellow fence pump. What? I said, yeah, well, yeah, like it's just, it's wild. And while I was down there, I caught my first snook. That was a little addicting. And every time I've been to Florida now, I've actually caught a new species each time. And um, I'm really looking forward for the, um, I, I've, my main goal now is tarpon. I've, I've got, I've got to put one down at some point. And me and Tyler Hockman were talking yesterday. And I was also talking with a Marshall, what's Marshall's last name? On TikTok, he's Georgia Bassmaster. So his YouTube following's really been cranking up. He's got over twenty thousand subscribers now. All organic, by the way. That's sweet. And uh, we talked about me, him, and uh, I was actually originally talking to Nathan Pelts. He's also creeping up over half a million now on TikTok. Um, we're all talking about going down to Florida or maybe even Puerto Rico. Um, but I want to. I'm going to do another big road trip down to Florida for sure, and meet up with some other collaborators down there and. Uh, hopefully knock out a tarpon man speaking of florida one thing i want to go there is shoot those iguanas with it whether it's a bow blow dart or my bow fishing setup man that looks fun and man i'd love to eat one of those bloody things apparently they're tasty you gotta go way south way south i haven't been that far south yet but that's that's on my list to get down towards the key there's there's a whole another realm of fishing down there you have you have all these pet stores that through the hurricanes and stuff that, you know, like, but pretty much South Florida is literally like a, like the Amazon. It's like, you've got peacock bats, clownfish, snakehead. Those uh, snakehead look freaking mean, man. And those uh, knife fish as well. Knife fish. 
Which one's a knife fish? They're like they kind of got like an eel tail, and they they kind of got like I wouldn't say the head. Those are the the, the 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 silver the silver fish. Yeah, they're like a silver, and they got dots running down. Their back. Clownfish. Yeah, knife clown. That's what, that's what, that's what they, they Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those that's what they supposedly they fight really well as well, and uh, what was I say? Mm, don't remember. Oh yeah, Nathan. Uh, Nathan Peltz, man, that dude. He'll have. Four, I've seen him have four thousand people in his live streams. That's insane. It's 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 crazy how well the um, outdoor community does in the um, on TikTok. Even though that we're so demonized with our content, like. But it was crazy. Is so like. I noticed he was going, he, he went ice fishing for a couple of weeks straight almost, like almost every single day. And he did it around lunchtime. It wasn't like, any, it wasn't like early morning, it wasn't early evening. And I've actually had this same, this, the same thing happen to me. Um, people are on their lunch breaks at work. And then they see somebody who's out fishing and they just, they just want to watch because yeah. it, it's kind of like the survival shows that are like do really well because people like, Dude, I worked next to a guy in the chemical industry. He was 26 years old, and he'd never even held a fishing pole in his hand before. That's insane. That's like, insane. people, I had the same amount of luck. I went I went live several days in a row kayak fishing around lunchtime, and I would have, I think my highest was like 180 people in my life, but still, like, people just enjoy watching. And that's why I think also your your, your, your channel was doing really well in India. Because I, uh, when me and my wife went to Greece last year, we were in actually Mykonos and we had sat down at this little bar and got to talking to this couple from the UK and this lady had worked for, uh, oh, what's that live streaming service? Um, <laughs> live nation. Yeah. And she was saying that some of her top analytics come out of India and these other places where they don't get live concerts. They don't get live. And I was like, and it really started rolling in the back of my head that, well, hell, that's why I like all these people, like they, they watch all these hunting and fishing and stuff. Like, they don't have any of it. Yeah, exactly. The video I posted was one of my mates catching a snake out front of the, out the front of a camping store that I was working at. It uh, slithered across the front and I've, I knew he's a local snake catcher and I called him up. I'm like, Hey man, we got to, the eastern brown snake slithering out the front of the store. Can you come catch it? This dude's got a bionic hand. Um, he rocks up in wearing flip-flops, as you guys call it. He's got a mullet, a bionic yeah. hand. Walks up. Oh, there's a snake, mate. Walks up, picks it up by the tail, puts it in the bag, spins the bag around. All right, see you guys later, and walks off. And it happens like a minute and a half. And I got it all on video, and yeah, that that thing blew up. Just you know, oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> the <bro>. most Australian <laughs> bloke you could ever think of, and yeah, he's got a bionic hand. Not even to do with catching snakes, but everyone's like, that dude's missing a hand, and he just picked up the snake with his good hand. <laughs> he uh, tell people way out. Like I got bit on this hand, so I lost this hand. <laughs> so now it's my good hand. <laughs> So what have you forgotten on a, like a fishing trip or a hunting trip that's important that you need that in Do I have a story for you? (laughs) 
So Galveston is about an hour and a half from my house. I am always running on edge all the time with 15 million things. And if I don't even create, if I don't have a list, if I don't have my list where it says do laundry today, I'm not going to do my lunch. <laughs> that just, that's kind of how I roll. I got all the way to Galveston one time and I didn't have a single one of my fishing rods. Oh, no. I had all my tackle, all my food. I get all the way down there and I didn't have a single fishing rod. So instead of driving all the way back and then drive, I, w- I wasn't going to drive six hours in a day. There's no way. No. So I went over to Cabela's and ended up, so apparently at the time they were almost sold out of all their right-handed reels, all their bait casters. So I ended up having to buy a like $200 lose custom combo. And that's the most money I've ever spent on a bait caster in my life. But I was like, I can either spend, spend $200 or I can waste four and a half hours driving back and forth. And I was like, that's it. I'm doing it. Whatever. That's like that, that was a pretty rough time. That, that's probably the one time that I can, I'll, I'll never forget that, you know, like I'm going fishing, like probably, probably bring my fishing poles yeah no that's that's a that's a good good idea um you know one of the last fishing guests you know he where he does most of his fishing is only five minutes from his house and he'd he'd left a couple of fishing we call them fishing rods we don't call them poles here in australia he left his rods sitting up against the tree um what's the most dangerous thing to happen on a fish or a hunt when you've been out Hmm. Are we talking like life-threatening, dangerous, or are we talking about just like like having to deal with like an animal? Stupid. Whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Well, it didn't necessarily happen to me, but uh, we were in Destin, Florida. We had my buddy's um, 19-foot bay boat, and we were about six miles offshore. Um, and I had a group of fr- I had a group of friends with me. We were down there for vacation to do some fishing and boat around just to have fun. It's definitely beautiful. Well, my buddy has really bad stage fright, like bad. So he can't just pee off the back of the boat like normal people. So he would like sit in the back of the water and just try to pee. So like the first reef we stopped at, he hopped out and he just kind of sitting there. It was like 45 minutes and the fish weren't biting. So he decided that, you know, it's, it's not going to work. You know, you have to go somewhere else. Well, I also brought a chum bag with me to help chum up some fish we've got a couple girls on the boat and they don't really care what they're catching while they're catching something so we pull up to the second reef and he's not even paying attention but he, this time he hops off the side of the boat with the chum bag on it <laughs> and when i tell you we weren't even there 10 minutes and i look over the edge and i just see about an eight foot shark coming right up underneath his legs <laughs> and i am screaming off the top of my lungs i reach over and he had a. Uh, he was using a life jacket, just kind of holding on to it. And I just grab him by the arms and I start ripping him out of the water. He's like, he, he's literally like the chum bag is like right here. And he's just like sitting here next to it. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? And that was probably the scariest time I have ever been in as far as like having to deal with an animal because it had been nothing. The size of that shark, it, it took a chunk out of his, it took half his leg. There's no way. Like what type of sharks? He's just sitting there like, what? There, that one looked like a bull shark, yeah. uh, so that also didn't make it any better. Uh, the first time I went to Destin, we caught a tiger shark. That wasn't too bad. We caught up in the kayak. We had it, we had it under control because you know, we're having to deal with the lines. Um, but the, 
that feeling of not being in control and be able to like have a situation handled. That was probably the most scariest time I've ever been. That even trumps, we were coming back in from offshore and I had to throttle the boat for almost two hours just to keep the boat from capsizing because the waves were so big and we were in a 30 foot boat. And I was just so like, when you're coming down the backside of a large wave, you can't just gun it because what ends up happening, especially if the wave intervals are short, when it does, what ends up happening is you'll put the boat into the next wave. Oh, no. So what you have to do as you're coming in, you kind of have to just let the wave come underneath you and go forward. And you kind of have to just keep throttling the boat to keep it there and not go into the next wave. Uh, that was pretty scary. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but if we capsize, I have a life jacket, whatever, I just throw it on. You know, it's going to suck, but uh, it's not near as nerve wracking as that time. Like we had to deal with that shark. Yeah, that's that's nuts. Um, I do a little bit of kayak fishing off of the coast here in South Australia, chasing squid mainly, southern calamari. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of whites, great white sharks off of the coast of South Australia. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a, a shark biologist called Rodney Fox. He um, in the. Oh, couldn't tell you the year but he was in a spearfishing competition on the coast of south australia and um he got munged by a great white shark if you um google his name it comes up and the whole side from underneath his armpit all the way down to his hip is just one big bite he had like several hundred maybe a thousand stitches he got he almost died like the bite marks and the photos he got pulled out of the water um so yeah, there's a, there's there's a lot of great whites in my part. Of- White story. Uh, actually, I've been doing a lot more road tripping and uh, meeting up with other collaborators. Well, when I was in California, after me and uh, Tyler met up, uh, which that's another thing, man. Um, kind of like with me and you as well. Everybody I've met through TikTok, it's been seamless. Like we meet up, and you would have thought we've been friends for years. Like it's just it's not awkward. It's there's it's just. Literally, like, uh, one thing I can say about TikTok is the way they design their algorithm. It has literally put me in touch with more people who are more like me than I've ever had in my life, which yeah. has been really awesome. 100%, man. Um, I've, I've made some great friends from, you know, Canada, America, New Zealand, other parts of Australia, European countries, like, just people that I would have never been in contact with. Right? Um, I literally, oh, I love it, man. Uh, so... We got through fishing in Northern California, uh, which I, I did find, I did catch a lean cod. Uh, it wasn't keeping some eyes, but seeing that fish with the blue mouth was pretty cool. Uh, we caught, caught a whole bunch of new species for me for the first time. And it, it's crazy because like where we live at, or where I live at, you have to go 60 miles to get into a hundred foot of water, like offshore. Because we live in what I call the butthole of the Gulf. Uh, <laughs> but over there, you're only a couple hundred feet offshore, off, off the shore and you're in 150 foot water because it's just like a straight sheer cliff um so we get through fishing there and we go down to san jose and meet up with a, a friend of mine isaac who is somebody else i've met through social media and uh do some spearfishing and i've done spearfishing in the gulf where you kind of like hop off the boat kind of snorkel around a, a rig and pop a couple mangrove snapper and then you're good you know a couple angelfish and but over there it's like actual you're diving down 20 30 feet like digging around and looking underneath rocks and stuff. And the whole time I'm out there, like I knew there's great whites in California, 
but I just didn't, I didn't ask the question before we went out there. Right. So like I'm swimming all through this, this, this kelp bed and it's kind of like murky. And I'm like, and in the back of my head while I'm out there, I'm like, this is exactly the kind of conditions that like somebody just gets popped and they call it, uh, so we, we call it grazing. So if you look up white, uh, great white grazing, what they'll do is they'll come in and then they'll just last second turn away. Um, but we didn't, so like in my head, I'm thinking like at any moment, I'm going to put my head back underwater after I crawl over the top of this kelp and boom, there's going to be a great white in my face. But like, no lie, one of my greatest fears is uh, deep, dark water. Like anything that I can't see something coming, like I bet, once again, that feeling of no control. I don't blame you. You're, you're out of your element. Like, I just, I don't like that, the feeling of the unknown. Well, nothing happened. I ended up actually getting a, a green, what they call a green link. I ended up catching, I ended up popping one of those and we had a, a catch and cook on the beach and we're all sitting there talking and I started asking the question about great whites and they're like, oh yeah, they're everywhere. We go, what do, mean, what do you mean they're everywhere? He's like, oh yeah, there's probably two or three swimming around the bay. And he's like, man, I hope I get to see one one day. I go, no, <laughs> I'm good. That's not something I want to go see, you know, but he was telling me that the original spot we were going to go to that morning, which was actually, it was too rough for us to go. Uh, it's a bit steeper, a little bit, uh, a better fishing area. And he said that two years ago, a guy had got grazed, uh, while he was there, you know, and the shark had actually launched, he had turned, the shark had turned last second, but his tail had hit him and launched him off the water and actually snapped his goggles, snapped his spear gun and it broke a bunch of the dude's ribs. That's and insane. I'm just sitting there like, well, the whole time I'm like, I was just out there for three hours and now you're telling me all this. <laughs> But if he, if he had told me before, I don't even know if I would have went. <laughs> so one of the last podcast guests I had, he was a spear fisherman, and he's also a professional abalone diver. Um, he was tell- okay. he was off the coast of South Australia in Victoria. He was out diving um, for abalone, and he felt something grab his head while he was out in the water. And what happened was, where he was diving for abalone was a big seal colony one of the seals had come up and grabbed him on the head while he was out diving and took a bite of his head while he's out diving. And yeah, he was, he was saying that, you know, the first thought is a shark. <laughs> did, it, did it like leave any holes in his head or anything? No, I mean, no, no. seals have some pretty big teeth. Yeah. Yeah. They got some pretty, pretty gnarly canines and um, yeah, just, just let go. He said, yeah, that got the old heart rate racing a bit. I'm like racing a bit. Yeah. I, I would have died. I would have, I probably wouldn't have gone back in the water. Right. Like there's nothing like in the back of my head. I'm like, there's nothing worse than me like swimming around. And then like, me just turn my head and be like looking face to face at something like. Oh, just even when you're diving no. and you've got a shadow of the cloud go over the top of you, like the sun goes behind a cloud and you get that shadow. Like my heart stops when I'm in the water there. You know, I've had dolphins scare me out of the water for six months. <laughs> Hey, dolphins are dolphins are large animals, man. Don't let them think like let people on TV fool you. Like you, you see them in the wild, and the, that's a large animal. Okay, <laughs> especially if you don't know it's a dolphin and you see fins and shadow, that's you're gone. You're 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 out of the water. <laughs> and these guys wanted to do a night dive down near San Diego, and I go, no, I don't. I'm, I don't do dark anything. And you want me to ask? You're asking me to go get in the water in the dark? That's nuts. They're like, yeah, that's the best time for lobster. I'm like, no, 
I don't care. <laughs> it's not happening. So, a mix-up of fish and mammals. What would your top five dream animals and fish be to hunt and catch? Oh, man. You got to hit me with the hard questions on that one. Top five. I would say elk's top of my list right now. That's going to be number one, just because I don't like the feeling of defeat. And when you hunt elk for a whole week and don't even get to draw your bow back, that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. So um, elk's going to be up there. I still would like to get a white. I've only killed whitetail with my crossbow. I still have not got one with my actual bow. I've taken. So a, I would really. I've taken a whitetail doe with a bow and a buck with a rifle. So, I've I've got. You know, I've, 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 <laughs> yeah. So like, so I would have to say elk and then a whitetail with my bow, and then underneath that, uh, actually peacock bass has been the number one. Um, fish on my list shot bass for yeah. some reason i don't remember what, what i was doing uh but i watched a lot of sportsman's channel when i was growing up as a kid and um i'll never forget just these guys are down in the amazon they were using these fully braided lines huge plugs just top water and then they started pulling these green and red and yellow fish out of the water and i'm like okay what is that and where can i get a hold of it you know and ever since then, I just had like, I just, I just had this fascination with, with peacock bass. So it's just like, it's like I said, it's just one of those things that it's at the very top of my list as far as fish go. Um, number four, ooh, tarpon. Tarpon, they're cool looking fish. Tarpon, they big. They get really big, and uh, I've actually so that first time I went down to Florida, uh, actually. Had, Ran into, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a company called Salt Strong. Yep. yep. They're based out of, uh, so I ran into one of the the product designers there while I was at a kayak launch. <laughs> I drove nice. all the way and I was behind. I'd already been to Dunkin' Donuts and like met up with this other person. And like just so happened, this guy, Justin, was coming in from trying some of the new baits and I was pulling up to the, uh, to the actual launch and got to talking and chatting because he saw my Be Wild stuff and, um, he pointed me in the direction of like an area where there's some tarpon, but really to go target some snook because I was also on my list uh, for that day. And we get over there and I am literally in the middle of these mangroves with all these juvenile tarpon. And he had told me, don't even worry about it. Don't cast at them because you're not going to be able to catch them. Like he's like, there's just, they're, they're too finicky. They're, it's just not going to work. And I was like, you know what? I think I can make it work. And he was not wrong because I sat there for about two hours casting at these tarpon, and they just would not, man. They just, they did not care. They were, they were just not, they just weren't having it. Um, but I ended up having one of them was actually able to hit my top water and I had him for about four seconds on the line. And that was enough for me to be like, okay, all right, all right. now we're rolling. We're going to, we're going to get him. Uh, but I was in an area called Indian Lagoon. And Indian Lagoon is very interesting because it's in Southern Florida or Central Florida. It's the only place in the world that redfish do not go out to sea. So redfish as juveniles are born um, inshore 
they spend uh, most of their first two years in marsh and canals and like feeding on shrimp and all that, et cetera. Then once they get to about 30 inches, that's what we consider bull redfish length, and they start migrating offshore. And um, but in the Indian Lagoon, they never they don't leave. You, you'll have bull redfish up in the marsh, like 40 inch redfish up in the marsh, and they're just cruising around. It's just the only place in the world that they do this, and I, it, I have no idea why. That's insane. Redfish are a cool looking fish. They kind of look like our our um our um mulloway here or jewfish, but they've just got that that fingerprint, you know, just over halfway down their back. Like they're they're a cool looking fish, yeah. man. But yeah, my my the one North American species that has um attracted me the most would have to be alligator gar, and that's something I I want to go back to Texas for. Like, bro, let me know. Well, time out. But number five was was sturgeon. Five was sturgeon, by the way. That's on my list. But sturgeon. So, <clears throat> Liberty, Texas, which is about forty five minutes from where I live, um, it's the number one spot in the world for alligator gar. That's nuts. That's nuts. I wish I wish I knew you five years ago when I was down there. Like, boat, uh, not rod and reel. I want to bow fish one. That's. I, oh, okay. It doesn't have to be, you know, a big five, six footer. I, I wouldn't care if it was a three footer, but it's just something about that. As soon as I was. Yeah. <clears throat> so speaking of that, by the, they actually annoy the hell out of me because when, when you hook into one, they're just, they're just hard to deal with. <laughs> uh, but the world record long nose guard was caught last week here in Texas. That's nuts. So I said, there's so many records that have been broken in the last few few months, just here in Texas alone. Oh, uh, yeah, species they actually, fascinate me so they much. Filmed a, uh, they filmed an episode of River Monsters in Liberty, Texas. And my in-laws were actually, next week, we're going to go, they have some property on the river in Liberty, Texas. Wicked. So we're thinking about building a fish camp out there. That That's sick. That's sick. Yeah, I'm, they're, they're high, high on my list, like... You know, but why? I just I love bow fishing, and when I was getting into bow fishing, that's one species I watched bow fishing a lot of. It's you know they grow to like seven foot or whatever they grow, just a huge, huge freaking prehistoric yeah, fish that's still alive. It is a very big deal here in Texas yeah. to go bow fishing for gar. Like. Even just like your long nose gar and your yeah other gar species, they're all very fascinating. Like we don't have, we've got a fish called a garfish, um, but they're not they're a saltwater species. Um, and then we in the top end of Australia, we have another species called long tom, and they've all got like a kind of a bill, but not not as long as like your guys. Yeah, but don't y'all have uh, y'all have like sawfish, right? Sawfish and Sawfish in the top of Australia, yeah, Barramundi, top of Australia, not yeah. not as not where I live. Um, we've got Murray cod, which should okay. should be in your top five. They're a beautiful, hard fighting fish. Um, a bunch of our reservoirs just got opened for fishing. They'd never been opened, and they've just been stocked with a bunch of our native fish. And Murray cod has been one of the fish that they've stocked. So actually, at the start of this year, got to go catch my. I caught one Murray cod in our big river 
and it was only you guys don't go 30 centimeters but you know it was less than a foot long i think i, I think i saw that post you'd put a you put a picture up on instagram about it right yeah not not that one but the other the other ones i've caught in this reservoir out of the kayak i have yeah yeah it's okay big. yeah i remember you had posted something and you're like this is the biggest one i've ever like you know and like and i was like that's cute <laughs> oh, it's 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 such an iconic fish and because we got them down to such a low number in their native system especially in my state the other states they're a bit more prevalent because they've got fishing licenses my state we don't have a fishing license apart from the fishing license to fish the reservoirs so we don't have that conservation that the other states have and that you guys have you like america like the north american model of wildlife is just fantastic i wish we had so i would say that the bird uh part of the conservation um is a lot better at it than any other department um your 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 federal game and bird commission does a really good job of monitoring and just your, your waterfowl hunters in general, I feel like are a lot better conservationists because of not only do you have to like, you're only have six ducks per day. You can only have two of this, two of that, yeah. or like, you know, and be able to pick that out in the air so, and be yeah. able to know which one. And, and a lot of about it is, and that's one thing I will say about bird hunting. Like the people I do go with, are, we're very, you're, you're very intelligent and very, they're very conservation related. And I, I really, that's one aspect of the outdoors I really enjoy is the conservation side because um, our saltwater fisheries are not, I think they could be better. Uh, we have what's called the Coastal Conservation Association and you have a chapter for each state. Uh, we recently have made several changes in the state of Texas, uh, especially with our trout fisheries. Um, they used to be limit 10 per person per day and now it's down to five because to get a good sized trout which would be 25 inches plus you have to go to parts of southern texas that people can't normally don't have access to or if you stay around the galveston middle upper coast you're to catch a fish over 20 inches is a good fish on a good day and that's the the fisheries have just been very diminished over the years especially with guiding and stuff like that um i, I will say that i wish there's that the, the, the flounder industry they finally made some changes to the flounder fishing um the snapper industry is federally regulated and that is still a pain in everyone's butt because of the way it's regulated. And this is why uh, a lot of people have a really hard time starting offshore charters is that you have to have what's called an offshore reef permit, right? To be able to run an offshore charter. Well, the federal government only made so many offshore reef permits. So you basically got to wait on somebody to to die or quit fishing to be able to buy somebody's permit and they can charge whatever they want. So the, your typical permit goes between twenty and $50,000. That's insane. And like the snapper industry, like there's some years it may only be open three or four. We had one year where it was only open three days. See, uh, and the snapper, go ahead. You guys have snapper issues, but your, your species of snapper is completely different to our species of snapper down here. But our snapper fishery has been closed for the last two and a half, three years and is an opening till next year. Um, that's for recreational fishermen. And I think some commercial boats still have an allocation for commercial fishing. But yeah, it's it's crazy how these things work with 
you know, salt water conservation and, but how, how much so, the fishermen advocate for this conservation more than, you know, government organizations. So red snapper in the Gulf, like if you get red snapper on a reef, they will take it over within a matter of months. Like they, they, they breathe fast. They're very voracious. Like there's a reef that I go to every year. It's called the barge and everybody knows about it. It's on our little red, everybody's little redfish book. We will be in 150 foot of water and I'll look down with my goggles and it's just hundreds. I mean, dude, just hundreds. I am catching fish on bottom. I'm catching fish on top water at 150 foot. That's insane. Uh, and the way the, the, the snapper allocation is based on weight. There's so many pounds per year you can take out of the goal. Well, the people who own that weight, that those permits are just, could, somebody in New York owns it, leases it out to somebody in Galveston who goes out and collects the fish and then pays, you know, all like people who actually own the permits never even see the fish. They just that's own insane. And that's what a, a lot of people are really, they've been fighting for that for the last several years as far as ownership of pounds per weight in the Gulf. Um, which side note before I forget about it in Texas, we have three lakes, two of which are in San Antonio, Texas, that they have stocked with redfish. Redfish will live in fresh water, but they cannot breathe. They won't procreate, but you can go. There's two, there's three freshwater lakes in Texas that you can go to and catch redfish. That's cool. I did not did not know that. I've always seen them as a saltwater species, so that's that's awesome to to know. They're a cool looking fish. They're no. definitely on my list. I know that we need to wrap this up pretty soon, as you've got an appointment. I've got a couple couple quick questions for you. What is hunting? I have a couple quick answers and fishing for you. What is hunting and fishing for me? It's a couple things. It's uh, reconnecting with nature. I do believe that at our base instincts as men, uh, uh, in general, we are, and it's not going to the grocery store and coming home. You know, um, I believe that, you know, being an outdoorsman and learning how to take from the land, but also when not to take from the land, you know, that's what we talk about conservation is a very big aspect of, uh, life in general and i've always been an advocate for also being outdoors more i 100 percent believe in that you know our soul is fed from the earth like sitting in an office all day and watching netflix on the weekend is not like I, I'm, I'm never at more peace with myself than i am in in the woods or 60 miles offshore um so for me it's just uh almost an aspect of release and just being in the outdoors in general. Like it's just in today's lingo, it's my happy place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's spot on to pretty much what everyone says when I ask them that question, who lives this lifestyle. So being in Texas, I see it as a pretty hunting, like to me, I see Texas as a hunting and fishing state. Um, how do you see the public views on hunters and fishermen? in texas you don't do it like i said earlier i had a coworker who had never grabbed a fishing pole and we all thought that was weird yeah like it, it's it's almost a, a staple like the you, no matter who you are you've picked up a fishing pole you met, now hunting is a little different not everybody goes hunting uh but we really only have like one liberal city 
ish here in Texas. And they may say something here or there, but yeah, Austin, that's because <laughs> the college is there. Uh, but other than that, like for the most part, the, if you don't fish or hunt, you're, you're looked at weirdly. <laughs> that's yeah that's that's a dream i wish i wish australia was like that and i wish hell i wish my state was like that um hey man we're uh, apparently you know everybody's moving to texas and florida you're more welcome to come over. <laughs> no that's 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 a big trip like i've said before i reckon we move all the um hunting and fishing minded people to australia and we send all of our liberal folk from australia to america and we just start start again trade. just a just a hunting and fishing colony down here you know <laughs> bring all your favorite species down and yeah <laughs> start. Just mix it up. yeah ex- exactly so because that you know the public views on hunting and fishing in texas is great compared to some of the other parts of America and definitely Australia. Um, I don't really need to ask this one, but how would you change the public views on hunters and fishers? No, that's actually still a good question because um, a lot of people, like, especially with social media nowadays, um, uh, it's it's still viewed as a very, uh, I want to say, like, harsh way of living, you know, especially when it goes to, comes to hunting. People really don't understand that the the, uh, the conservation side, you know, we hunt to also preserve certain numbers because if we don't, then a, a one animal species may take over an area versus not, you know, and then being able to provide for the family. Some people literally have the outlook that people just go out there to kill things to kill them. And I'm like, I literally, um, speaking of which I was talking with, uh, so Austin Pebbler and Britton Scoville, they hunt a lot. And they got here in Texas as well as uh, when they're not at their place, I think in Ohio. And uh, they live year round. They, they don't buy meat at the grocery store at all. They 100% have nothing but meat in their freezer year round. That's great. And a lot of people don't even realize what, what, you know, these are the people that go to the, like, like, to the grocery store and buy a steak and have no idea where it comes from. Yeah. But they'll go see a video of a being butchered and be like, oh, that's so wrong while they're eating their steak. And it's like, I wish I could, like my goal, even with my fishing brand, uh, when I first started, was to bring more public, bring more of an eye to the public for the conservation and being able to, like, if we keep up with what we're doing now, because the amount of pollution and litter and trash that I see all the time, like, it's not going to be here for the next generation. Like, like, I really wish I, like, for me personally, as I'm growing in my channel, is to do a lot more educating for the general public, just to get them to understand why we do the things we do. Hundred percent. It's yeah, it's it's definitely a um, fine balance between conservation and chasing the animals what you love and um, taking them versus you know with fishing releasing them, um, whether it's a breeding age female, so, stuff like that. Agree. There's a group of people here, and uh, I don't know if you follow them on YouTube. Uh, Born and raised outdoors. I, I know of born and raised outdoors. I don't really follow too many people on YouTube, but I I know them through Instagram. So, watching their channel is what really got me started with elk hunting. But if you watch, they do a lot of every kill. Uh, they sit down, they pray for it, they thank the they thankful for the kill that they they had taken. You know, like 
And if they, if they shoot an animal, like, and a lot of people don't realize that, you know, most, most hunters, if they shoot an animal and they're not able to find it, like we feel terrible. That's like that is like the worst feeling in the, in, in the world. Like there's nothing like there's, there's, that's a really hard pill to swallow knowing that you killed an animal for no reason. Yeah, um, it's it, it's horrible. You're not, not able to feed anybody, and we feel like we do feel like that. But at the end of the day, it's not for no reason, and it's not feeding. Like it's it is feeding stuff still. It's going back into the earth. It's putting nutrients into the soil. It's feeding birds, you know, raptors and other scavenger animals. So it so, is being, even if you lose something, it is still being used. It's not being used by you the way you want it to be used, but it's still going back into the soil. It's still going back into, it's feeding, you know, these scavengers. That's, that's one way to look at it. And that's the way like we make ourselves feel better. Uh, but a lot of people don't. So one real, real quick story. So my, but so my first time I went elk hunting, uh, I took a friend of mine and it was his first time bow hunting ever. He bought a bow earlier that year. He started working with me. And we get up there, and then, uh, of course, we had a bad year. Well, the next year, he went back, and I couldn't because of work. And uh, he ended up shooting a, a cow elk. And, of course, you know, buck fever, he chases it, right? He jumped it twice. He never found it after that. We've been there. And there's there's nobody to stop him. So the out-of-state tag for elk for both season is $600. So you're spending $600 whether you kill him or not. Yeah, that's 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 one difference between here and over. Tell me what person. So tell me what person he literally took it upon it. Like you said, first time bow hunting, first time, second time going to Colorado. You're talking up in the mountains. Finally gets one. Spends all this time. He still had another week and a half in Colorado, but he packed his bags and left. And when people asked him why, he said, "I shot an animal." I did not find it. He's like, I don't deserve to put an arrow in another animal. I feel my tag. Yeah. You hear that a lot over there. You know, we're pretty fortunate over here because everything we chase here is an introduced species. So we don't have seasons. We don't have limits. We don't have, you know, tags. Mostly there's, there's a couple of seasons and tags in a couple of different States for a couple of different species. Um, hog deer in Victoria being one of them and fallow deer in Tasmania being another one of them. But, you know, we have, we're fortunate enough to be able to make those mistakes without spending that money that you guys have to spend on, whether it's limited draw, um, you know, applying every year for a once in a lifetime animal, um, you know. Right. But I mean, just, but even then, like just from the conservation aspect, being able to, being, being, enough of an outdoorsman to walk away when there's nobody stopping you from going and drawing your bow back again. Like that's the part of being an outdoorsman for me that I would really love like the public to know more about. And I yeah. think that if we could, if, 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 if we all as outdoorsmen can show more sides of that, then um, I think in general, like the, there'd be a lot less redneck eyeballs. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. And you hear that story. Like, all the time, people asking in, in America if they wound an animal and lose it, is that classified as your tag being filled? Um, 
as far as I know, majority of the states, it's not classed as, but a lot of people do class it as that's their tag, that's their animal done. Um, I'm not sure of, of any states off the top of my head that actually class that as a field tag, but yeah, it's just a, Colorado actually does. Yeah. Colorado says that if you wound an animal, and even if it goes on somebody's private land and they won't let you go retrieve the animal, you still filled your tag. Yeah, yeah. Which is, it, it, it's it's understandable, especially for how the North American model works and how that they hand out their tags due to numbers and hunting pressure and all of that. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's it's an amazing thing over there. Um, you got to get going. I'll let you cruise, but... If people have enjoyed what they've heard tonight, where can we find you? Um, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Um, so before I get off, though, because I can tell you all that in two seconds, because I did reschedule my chiropractor where you were at the, what do y'all call it down there? A toilet? Toilet? Toilet, you know, weird word, yep. toilet down there? Let's call it a toilet. Okay. Uh, we have all kinds of weird, we have like 50 names. Um, a Dunny, a Lou. I want to know. You never really told me um, what made you want to start the podcast. Um, I love talking hunting, everything hunting, fishing related. I can, I more than anything else, I've always soaked in hunting, outdoors, fishing stuff. Like I was, I wasn't great in school, but as soon as it, we had projects on feral animals, the I perked up whether we picked up on conservation stuff, fishing stuff. That's where my interest has always laid. Um, I've been hunting and fishing since before I can remember before I was three, four years old with my, with my pop and my, my dad and my stepdad. Um, so yeah, the outdoors has always been me. Like other kids were playing sports and I was off fishing or shooting goats and rabbits and, going down to the range and shooting the 22 or the air rifle. Um, and then just everyday conversation when I'm chatting to people, it's, I, you know, I'll drop a hunt, a hint that I go hunting or fishing. And if someone picks up on it and goes, Oh, what do you hunt? Or I, I hunt or I fish. It's just, that's what I'm attracted to. That's, I like, you know, talking to people like the, and then getting their views on hunting and fishing and the outdoors and um yeah it's just progressed after being a guest on a few hunting podcasts um my first one being big buck registry they're they're based in the states um i did that shit eight years ago now probably and then a few other ones and it's just been something that's because you 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 forgot to mention while we're in here about you know like you're famous too you know this right no, I'm, I'm not famous. I'm infamous. I'm, I'm, I'm not loved. I'm hated worldwide. <laughs> hey, man, as Donald Trump would have said, love or hate, they're still talking about you. They're talking about you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, it's just my love of the outdoors and chatting to outdoors people about, you know, something I love. I love nature. I lo- like a, you know, for show and tell, I was bringing goat horns in and I was bringing skins in and I was bringing snake sheds and lizard sheds and bones and all of that for show and tell and like a pet snake. Like other people will be bringing cats and dogs in and I've got this python that I'm bringing in to show and tell, you know. 
like we we have a thing down here called yabbies you guys call them crawfish they're very similar they're like a freshwater crayfish species and you know i'd go down to the local creek on weekends and catch a bucket of them and then i'd go to school and then sell them to the other kids for like 50 cents a dollar you know it's just oh oh, so you're also a businessman yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so do y'all have yeah you're from yabbies like yabb why you have a you have a yabby boil uh so we don't really have a yabby boil but we do we we do boil them up it's not something like your crawfish boil where you you're putting you know um what's what's that spice mix that it <laughs> all of y'all put oh like, there. Uh, old, yeah, old bay there's some uh, <laughs> old uh bay we do a little more in old bay down here <laughs> uh corn mushrooms I like the mushrooms, potatoes, butter, onions, uh, some zatarans. Boy, like we actually have just a, it looks like a giant barbecue pit, yeah. but it's it's strictly for crawfish. So and you just pick it up and dump it. I I boil them and I I if I'm eating them fresh, I'm dipping them in white vinegar and just dip dip the tails in vinegar and eat them that way. It's um try it. It's good. Or I pickle them so you get get a jar and you pickle them in a jar and you put all the tails in vinegar and you're pickling them and you just eat it like that. Crab meat goes amazing I'm, I'm, the same as well. I'm, I'm not following you on that one, dude. So do you know what vinegar is? White vinegar? I know exactly what vinegar is and that's why I'm not following you on that one, man. So you dip, <laughs> you dip the tails, the flesh, in vinegar and then you eat them. So rather than a dipping sauce, you peel the crawfish the yabby and you dip them in vinegar and then you eat them okay i'll uh i'll try that one next time so uh, I, I, you're I gonna think, have to come down during the spring <laughs> i think that's just a um, do an actual crawfish bowl a thing coming from from our um, english heritage because they do fish and chips and they put vinegar on their fish so i think that's right. just a just a thing coming yeah. down from england but even pickling them like pickling them in vinegar in a jar and you put all the tails in a jar and then you just you know you're hungry down the track and you crack the jar and eat them straight out of the vinegar it's good dude it's I'll, good I'll, I'll try it but it's, as of right now I'm in the back of my head I'm just thinking no I can see it from your face <laughs> yeah you, you've got the same expression on your face as when we're talking about Vegemite earlier oh I've tried it every which way. It does not work. No. It's mm. good. It's like eating tree bark. I put it, I spread no. it on my toast thick, just thick, like to the toast looks like just asphalt and just thick black tar and just eat it like that. And then you lick the, nah. after you finish spreading it, rather than scraping the rest back in the jar, you just lick what's off of the knife. <laughs> Y'all go look at what Vegemite is and order some and then try it. Yeah, everybody's watching this. Yeah, y'all, no. It's no. Uh, <laughs> but as far as uh, being able to find me, I am literally any platform, just Andrew Longren. And there's usually going to be a link right there that has a link to all my other platforms. Uh, I use Beacons. So that if you're at my Instagram, you can click that at the bottom of my bio and it'll take you to any page you want to. Uh, you, you also see a very funny picture of me and my wife and some pit vipers <laughs> uh, from our photo shoot that we did uh, for Christmas cards. And then, um, 
yeah, then pretty much find me anywhere. I'm actually right now gearing up for the summer. I'm going to really start hitting YouTube a lot harder again. I, YouTube's a very, it, it's tough, man. Like it, being an outdoorsman and trying to film for YouTube at the same time, like unless you have the amount of time that you can fish in the same day that you're trying to film, you almost end up filming more than you do anything. Um, so I'm trying to gear up and get ready for that and be as as versatile as I can in that department and um, do some more road trips. I got a big trip to Europe coming up in July and then come back in August and start gearing up for my hunting season, which I'm going to do elk hunting in September in Colorado. And then it looks like this year I'm more than likely going to be hunting in Arkansas again, just because it's not near as hot uh in arkansas the month of october as it is here so that's kind of the plan moving forward arkansas bear is high on my list like i uh, just listening to clay newcomb and the the bear hunting magazine podcast and now the bear grease podcast is just yeah hunting black bear with a bow and squirrels that they, they do like some squirrel fest in arkansas somewhere and like some big squirrel you never had squirrel nah man we don't have squirrels here oh Really? No, we don't have squirrels. Oh, I grew up like I, like I had a pellet gun. That was my first gun, and man, we did we murdered. We, so we have the word murder. rabbits, cottontail. That's that's what most right. hunters' bread and butter is down here. We had rabbit plagues, like where people would shoot it over a thousand a day. You know. Oh no! We just go around the neighborhood and pop them squirrels up people's front yards and make squirrel gumbo and oh, fry them up, and- dude. That's what I that's what I did from like age twelve to it's, like fourteen. It sounds stupid, but it's squirrels are one of my highest rated North American things I want to go shooting and cooking up. Like Matter of fact, there's just one. Where's he? Yeah, he's out there. He's, he's in this tree every day outside. My my dogs keep trying to get him. I didn't. <laughs> I seen one squirrel from a distance while I was in Houston, running across the road like a hundred yards up the road. That's the only one. You I better see. be. You better be careful because it might have just been a rat. Because we got some big rats. In nah, it was it was it was in the countryside. Why? Why? Oh, uh, yeah. it were. But it it was definitely a squirrel. But it was still a hundred yards out, and I just seen this thing go across the road and then up a tree. I'm like, oh no! But pulled over, couldn't see it. Thank you for listening. Please find us on social media: Instagram at Hunting Connection Podcast. Facebook at Hunting Connection and Twitter at Hunting Connect. Also, please subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Rate and review. Thank you.